Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 49 of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello there, Husker fans. That's right. Close to the big 5-0. Pretty exciting, huh? That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're going to have to do something special for that. Yes, we will. And we're going to discuss that, I think, after the podcast amongst ourselves. Um, okay. But we are here today to discuss the uh, Ohio State-Nebraska uh, game, as well as the announcement of our new athletic director and what uh, could play out here in these upcoming weeks. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. And, and in light of our uh, uh, disgusting performance in this most recent game, it really adds a lot of uh, caveats to things, I believe. Yeah. Yes. So um, I think we're going to start with um, reading a comment from our loyal listener, uh, AJ Schmitz, uh, your brother, who uh, commented on uh, the Wisconsin podcast that we did last week, as well as the one before that. And um, his uh, his response was, uh, Pete, you are when I was, you're where I was, you're where I was two years ago when the Huskers lost to Illinois. The way I look at it is they have wasted two years. Kelly only with great defensive coordinator. OSU by 30-plus. Pete, all that cursing. What would our mother say, lol? <laughs> <laughs> and she, he is right. Apologize to any listeners who uh, have been listening to the podcast and, and are, are disturbed by my commentary from last week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, either the cursing or but, the rants. <laughs> by, exactly. By the way... Uh, uh, our traditional opening of the can of beer was again thwarted by my inability to wait, and so you can hear the can, but it's already open. <laughs> well, was that another one of those weird Husker lids that you're talking about? It was about? not. Nope, not this time. No, this is just a regular old can of beer. But doggone it, uh, uh, I just it was it was in front of me, and I and I opened it without regard for where we were on the podcast. There we go. Yes. Well, and. AJ turned out to be right on that uh, 30-plus uh, yeah. prediction of the score. Um, in terms of our own predictions, I predicted the more um, conservative 35-14 score, whereas you had a 48-17. to uh, So I was more correct in terms of how many points we would score, uh, but you were closer in terms of the point spread, even though even you were conservative, as it turns out. Yes. Well... Uh, you know, I, I anticipated that we would lose this game and probably by a, a good bit, especially if you look at the recent history of both teams and the recent history of the matchups uh, that these two teams, again, we were playing this game with, you know, a cornerbacks playing safety, uh, a completely uninspired football team. And, and again, that gets back to the coaching staff and, and the frustrations that I expressed in last week's podcast that boil down to the fact that I, I think Coach Riley is uh, a, a good guy, uh, even uh, a good coach in, hi- in the history of his career, but a guy who lacks the inspirational uh, ability and did not surround himself with the right choices of assistants and specifically coordinators to put himself in a position to be successful. If you had a guy like Mike Riley running the overall program with his uh, even-keeled manner and um, eye for... Uh, social media and some of the newfangled things, his ability to connect with players, outstanding, all outstanding. 
if you had him, but then he had selected some really top-notch coaches to be his coordinators and on his staff in general, then he would be in a very uh, different situation. But as it is, he picked some guys that he was familiar with that are turning out to not be very good at their jobs. And that uh, is, uh, is the crux of where we stand today with Nebraska football. The fact that we have an offensive coordinator who has no clue how to call game plan so that he can put himself in a position to win uh, or he can put himself in a position to, to play close when a, when a team is better than, than they are. Sometimes you, you have to acknowledge that, hey, you know what? We need to run the football, burn the clock, and just get the hell out of here. Okay, because we're, we're not winning this game. And sometimes you got to do that. And you know what? Weird things begin to happen. All of a sudden, some run plays start to work. A fumble here, an interception there. Your defense helps you out. And wham, bam, you're in a game because you kept it close. And then you go after it, right? But he didn't even think to do that. I mean, just, I don't know. There's just so many things that are wrong. Uh, he's in another world. He's, he's living in some dreamland of NFL world where, you know, losses don't mean anything he doesn't understand that that in in college football specifically losses are massive that the how you lose is massively important uh in recruiting in in national perception in all kinds of things and when you're uh when you have the tradition history of a program like nebraska and whose fans are desperate to to uh, at least start moving back in the direction of relevance uh, and who have you know, admittedly, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of an aside here, Alex, to, to speak to um, our uh, interim athletic director, Dave Remington, past All-American, Outland and Lombardi Award winner, uh, just an absolutely spectacular tra- uh, traditional Nebraska player and supporter, uh, had some very interesting comments in an interview recently uh, where he pretty much spelled out that, hey, he actually gave Nebraska fans uh, praise, uh, not for the fact that we have a tendency to eat our young and, and just be an attack and throw the baby out with the bathwater because we're so passionate. But when you look at the really big picture, what other school could have had the kind of mediocrity and even just flat out embarrassing losses that Nebraska has sustained over the last decade to two decades and still be filling their stadium? and still be making the contributions in terms of finances and stuff to put them at the very elite of, of schools in the country and keep them in that blue blood area in terms of revenue and money. Who else could do that than Nebraska? I guarantee you, uh, you know, the, uh, Alabama had periods of time where, where they sucked uh, over the last 40 years, okay? And I mean periods of time, not one or two years, but decades where they, didn't, they, they weren't very relevant. Now, they emerged and became relevant for a little while, and then they fell back down again and that sort of thing. But my point is there were, there were big periods of time where they weren't very relevant. You know what? They, they, didn't, they didn't keep selling out their stadium. They had times when their stadium wasn't full. They didn't, they didn't have that sustained support. So Nebraska fans truly, collectively, even though they bitch a lot and they have a very active uh, you know, social media fan base that – that does not paint a very good picture of us as a fan base. The reality is, in terms of ongoing support and 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 s- s- hanging in there, Nebraska fans really have done a great job. Yeah, well, um, speaking to that, actually, there was a good article on ESPN.com written by uh, Ivan Mazel. 
Ivan Maisel, yeah. Yep, called uh, Nebraska Struggling with Its Storied Past and Uncertain Future. And there was a paragraph he had in here that was about just what you were saying there. It says, uh, Riley64 has become an inkblot test among Nebraska fans. They all like him and respect him. Not only is Riley considered the nicest coach in college football, but those attributes seemed especially important here, embodied by the recent tourism slogan, Visit Nebraska, Visit Nice. Riley's predecessor, Bo Pelini, won nine games a year, but his brusque uh, personality whittled away his support over seven seasons. That's a critical part of this story. Nebraska is not LSU, where fans waited less than half a season to scream for the head of Ed Orgeron. It is not Tennessee, where the volunteer fans responded to the 41-0 home loss to Georgia by emptying Nayland Stadium long before the game ended. Exactly. So that's that's the deal. And so the question is, if a coach can see that that's the kind of sustained support that that a fan base has given the program, even in light of all of the struggles that we've had, they could look at it and say, I see the sleeping giant is still there. Well, I've got to figure out and I would have to come in with a plan as to how I was going to both structure my offense and defense to to at least recognize the history and tradition of the program and what has succeeded, recognize that there are reasons why a run-based offense is so critically important to a successful Nebraska team. Uh, and it has not only to do with our weather, which is certainly significant, but it also has to do with the kinds of players we are likely to be able to recruit consistently over time. Um, and, you know, and the kind of players that will do, do well in our program versus the kind of players that although they are great individual players and, and are great football players, they may not fit with what we're trying to get done at Nebraska because they're not going to like the cold because they're not going to like this or that, you know, they're going to be reasons why they don't rise to the level that, that we might otherwise be able to rise to. Mm-hmm. So it's somebody that understands that is going to be critical uh, to yeah. Nebraska's future. Well, and speaking on what you're just talking about with the fan base and all that, um, I've seen, you know, some comments online where people are like, you know, uh, oh, you know, people don't, re- they don't realize how like precarious the situation is. Like the sellout streak is in danger if this keeps up and things of that nature. Um, and my reaction would be that, you know, we went through the years of Bill Callahan, you know, and uh, obviously the sellout streak kept going. And like you say, you know, Nebraska fans have endured a lot. Um, but do you get any indication that, we're at like a critical juncture like that it's been 20 years now and we're at like a tipping point where maybe we threaten losing that support oh oh yeah absolutely you're talking about uh, 20 years is a generation and by most definitions right uh so so uh you have a whole generation of fans you've described yourself this way i mean you were born in 1995 the pinnacle of nebraska football 93 uh, uh, 1993, excuse me, uh, and uh, and so you were there for the pinnacle of Nebraska football as an infant. You did not experience it as a human, uh, aware of your what's going on. So so your experience has been pretty much from the time that you began to follow the sport. Um, you know, uh, uh, us falling into mediocrity and worse. And so you've never experienced the highs of of being. Uh, you know, a premier program. And mm-hmm. so uh, the longer that goes and the more of those people who have, who are dedicated to the team die off, the more likely it is that, that things like the sellout streak are going to go away. And, and frankly, at this point, the sellout streak 
may very well go away this season in physical terms, meaning we're going to see a stadium with huge gaps of seats empty mm-hmm. for the first time. Now, those seats are sold, so it's still a sellout, right? right? But that crowd is going to be 5, 4, 10, I don't know. It's going to be uh, a lot uh, less people. Now, the fact that we just got a new athletic director and that there are certainly a lot of people who have an expectation that we're going to be moving in a different direction, uh, they may, uh, that might buoy those people from walking away and instead cause them to say, you know what, I'm going to stick it out and we're going we're gonna to see where this thing goes. And, uh, and I'm, I, at least I'm hopeful uh, for that. Mm-hmm. So Cool. And, and last point I wanted to bring up about Riley, because um, I saw another comment that uh, said this that I thought was kind of interesting. I believe they described him as like a CEO style of head coach, where he's the type to kind of be you know, the overseer and delegate to his coordinators and his assistants and then kind of let them do their own thing. Um, and only, you know, kind of interfere when it's absolutely necessary kind of thing, which right. I think p- plays out in how we've been asking for Riley to you know, take over the interfere. offensive play calling, right? And he just has seemed reluctant to do that. He, um, he is, and, and I get that. You hired a guy to do a job, you want to let him do the job. But, but in the coaching profession, again, in the college football world, you can't wait an entire season and then fire him at the end of the season. Uh, Mike Riley needed to recognize that that Danny wasn't getting it done and he needed to either take the reins away from him or dictate to him in a private coach and head coach meeting that this is what I want. This is this is what I expect to see from now on. And if you don't do it, I'm sending you packing. I mean, I, I, I probably would have after um, after the uh, Wisconsin performance, I might very well have asked him to. Uh, to um, step away uh, and, and taking the reins myself and then found, uh, you know, one of my GAs or something to step up as a, as an assistant offensive coach uh, for the remainder of the, you know, season. And I would have become my own offensive coordinator and I'd have stepped up and done that. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, uh, that's what I would like to see. I mean, you got two weeks. So if you're going to fire your offensive coordinator, you know, uh, tomorrow would be the day to do it. Right. Monday. There we go. And so talking about that Ohio State game, um, like you said, I mean, even before the season started, we all had pretty much had this one penciled in as an L. You know, we knew that it was probably going to be a loss. Um, But unfortunately, we suffered one of those Bo Pelini-esque, you know, just total collapse kind of losses. Um, Interestingly, though, when I was looking at the I'm looking at the stats here, um, we basically equaled them in terms of passing yards. Now, I know a lot of that's because, you know, they started uh, playing prevent there in the second half because they just needed to run out the clock and things like that. Um, But they had uh, 354 passing yards, whereas we had 349. But the rushing yards tell the rest of the story where they had 279 to our 44. Um, right, we, we just were not able to get yeah. anything done and, and, physically. And how do you? And how do you? After the week uh, that uh, the weeks that uh, Ozigbo has had the last two weeks, how do you start Wilbon? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? I don't care that he's healthy again. There's no way that the performance in game of those two players that you've observed, and when you're going to go up against a, a team that you know 
has what is arguably the best defensive line in the country, according to all the experts and the own, and, and according to the stats even, that, that they were one of the best defensive lines in the country. Under what circumstance or logic would you think Wilbon, who's a guy who has demonstrated that he is a dancer at this point, he's a side-to-side guy, always looking for a hole, as opposed to a, a Zigbo who's much more willing to uh, go right into where the hole's supposed to be, and if it's there... He's going to take advantage of it. If it's not, he's going to get what he can, and he's going to fall forward. That's the guy we needed on Saturday night, and we chose the other guy. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't make yeah. any sense. And then, and then in our first series of plays, uh, uh, we throw the ball to Tyjon Lindsay twice, or we throw it to him once, and then we, uh, and then we have him run a jet sweep, um, which he hasn't run hardly at all the whole year, and he runs it in, like in slow motion, it seems like. And... And he, you know, he's not even close on the pass because he's a teeny tiny guy. He's 160 pounds. When you're playing against Goliath, you don't put the teeny tiny freshman that probably wouldn't have been better served with a redshirt year, but because of injuries, we were forced to play him. Why is he the guy that you target and give two, two touches to in the first five or six plays of the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did like there was a there was a. Uh, play where Ozigbo caught a pass and had a decent run after catching the pass, um, which I thought was nice. It's kind of a, a bit of a redemption for the screw up in the Wisconsin game. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, JD Spielman had some nice uh, catches and runs. Um, there was that one yep. in the first half where he, if, if he had just gone past the one guy who tripped up his leg, he was home free for a touchdown. And I, was really frustrated that that guy managed to trip him up because I knew that we weren't going to be scoring any other way than getting it on a single big play like that. Um, So that was frustrating. And then at the end of the half when I was surprised when uh, a personnel ran in there and, you know, because he, uh, uh, Lee just chucked it up, you know, it was just a Hail Mary into the end zone. And uh, Pearsonell actually ran behind all the defenders. They had left a gap, and he had the ball in his hands. If he had caught it, it would have been a touchdown right there at the end of the half. Um, right. But he just couldn't pull it through. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, I, I just – the level of intensity, concentration, even coming out of the tunnel before the game, I immediately knew we were in deep trouble. As I, as I saw the players coming out the tunnel, they were literally walking at a casual pace. Uh barely slapping the hands of the fans that, um, you know, uh, that align the sides of the tunnel walk. Uh, there was no hype, no energy, no jumping up and down. They practically jogged onto the field. They were like, they were already exhausted. Like they were scared to death to play this game. They were just trying to get through it. So now that it's over, okay, you got through it. Now who's still alive? Who, 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 who isn't injured and gone for the season? Because that we probably have more injuries now because we played like that because we didn't play with intensity, uh, it was awful. And the fact that I saw uh, after a mistake a, a player coming over and and explaining to Riley why it was a mistake and Riley was looking off in the distance like he didn't even give a shit. And and it's those kinds of things that lead me to believe that Mike Riley is a dead man walking and he knows it or something because he showed no passion whatsoever throughout that game. None. Zero. And he doesn't seem at all interested in getting involved. He's just going to let this thing unwind. Yeah. Uh, well, and and, it, and it, that just blows me away. That was something I saw people talking about because 
uh, they, they the camera went to Urban Meyer a couple times, and apparently in their last game they had a big problem like on special teams. So whenever there was a mistake there, you saw him like getting mad, or when they had they had some penalties like uh, false starts and things like that, and he would usually get animated, or you'd see him like on his knee, you know, with his hands on his knees, like you know he wasn't up by. 30 40 points or whatever he looked like he was upset sometimes yeah <laughs> um so well, almost comical and then i yeah I, I didn't notice this during the game but i once again read about it online it said something about in the second half um that on um, there was like a kickoff where drew brown um made the tackle on the right on the guy and that after the play he was like yelling at his teammates about you know not putting in come any on effort. let's go right right i didn't catch yeah. that but i totally believe it yep yep and he's a senior of course so he's trying to get some people fired up but you're not going to get your kicker is not going to be that guy uh, so yeah anyway uh just uh overall uh, very disappointing performance uh kind of reflective and indicative of uh, a wisconsin loss we had a few years ago with Bo um that led to a lot of the discussion of, of getting rid of Bo. Uh, it really started with that that uh, debacle of a loss, um, yeah. and so um, well. You know, and, and I don't also know. What, with... I don't know what we do now. I don't know if. Uh, I mean, if we're going to make a change at coach, uh, I, I really think we need to do it before the end of the season because th- that's the new trend. And if you wait until your season's over, by then, other schools have come in and identified the the, the likely premier candidates for coaching positions and if you haven't engaged in the conversations because you haven't officially fired your coach you're in trouble you're in a lot of difficulty so if he is thinking about making a change i think he needs to have the discussion with coach riley before the end of the season to find out if if coach riley is willing if the the numbers are right uh to simply retire because I, I don't know that Coach Riley is, you know, he talked about this being their last great adventure, he and his wife. So I think he he would be content to just retire from Nebraska and be done. Right. I don't know that he's necessarily going to want to go back to Oregon State. I don't know that they'll even want him back. Right, so the they just fired their be, coach who replaced right. them. Right. So the question would be, um, what, uh, um, what do you do with Riley? And maybe you have the conversation and you find out that he's, probably inclined to retire then you say okay that's that's great what i want you to do is give me permission to begin to look quietly in the background with a search firm your replacement so i can start to reach out to some other people that we might be interested in and have start having conversations and i'm not and i'm not doing it behind your back you're going to retire or we're going to fire you at the end of the year you know what i mean and and then uh but but the, the ad is all but said i won't evaluate him until the end of the season well you know what? The Tennessee job is, is, is opening up. Uh, there may be a couple of other major jobs that are going to open up at the end of this season. And Scott Frost, A&M, would be another one. Scott Frost is going to be a hot commodity. His UCF team put 42 points or whatever on, uh, on a bad team, but still 42 points on a team uh, in the first half and, uh, and is looking great and is ranked. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if there was ever a time... Uh, that Nebraska should have an upper hand on a on a hot commodity coach. This would be it, given that it's Scott. But if Scott doesn't have any uh, official uh, uh, feelers out there saying, "Hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna be looking for you there, Scotts. Hang in there," 
and 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 find out and gauge his interest in the Nebraska job, then it might be too late because Tennessee's already dangled seven million dollars in his face. Uh, you know, do we know? Oh, you're just saying that we don't. I'm just saying that's going to happen. Right. That kind of thing's going to happen because if he keeps winning and his team keeps winning, he is going to be a hot commodity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, and so uh, the question is, are we going to lose out on him because we wait too long? Right. And he's like, well, you guys didn't come to the table until well, I already had this offer from from because they're going to fire Butch. Jones. Butch Jones soon, probably. Right. They're not well, going to wait till the end of the year. Mike, here's a question. Um, I, cause I just don't know the answer because I know that Riley had his contract extended by like a year relatively yeah. recently as mostly as like a recruiting thing, um, you know, to give recruits confidence that the coach will be there when you're there, that kind of thing. Um, but does is there any difference in terms of like that money that he gets from the university even after he's gone if he retires versus uh, gets fired for, you know, not non uh contract breaking reasons or whatever you 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 mean as far as the implication on money yes okay i i think in either case he's going to get paid most of his money yeah okay he's going to get paid most of his money so um but the the point is is that if um if you what do i want to say um if you have the conversation and uh, about him retiring and he's accepting of that then you don't have to fire him. You can you can wait for the right day and allow him to um, right. to simply announce his retirement. Um, but in the meantime, you can already be actively seeking, not doing so behind his back, and and it's a little bit more above board, a little bit more legit. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so that's that's the thing. I think it 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 loosens the strings a little bit so that the new athletic director could start to to be doing his research. Now, you know he's going to do that research anyway, but he can't officially reach out until he makes the decision to fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all back-channel crap. Right, and, right. And so, and, and I don't even know if Scott Frost has an interest in the Nebraska job. Scott Frost knows uh, plenty about Nebraska, and, and he knows that if he went, if he came here and he didn't do well, he'd be on a hot seat in three or four years. Well, uh, I mean, that's but, just the reality of. It. But that, whereas he he's building something right now at Central Florida in the in the heart of Athlete Central, okay, with four stars growing up like tree plants, okay, um, uh, weeds, whatever you want to say. Uh, so that's that's the difference. Is if he looks at the tra- trajectory of the two programs, uh, he might be far better off staying at UCF than Nebraska. Even though it's a, his alma mater, right? But that that point about the three years thing—that's going to be true if he goes to Tennessee, if he goes to any of those major sure. programs. You know, sure. if if it if he doesn't do well in those first three years, then most universities are probably going to fire him. Um, but he knows that in Nebraska's case, there's a certain desperation in the air that may not be there at some of those other schools. That's true. I, 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 I'm with you. Yeah. Now, um, we haven't we've we've talked about it indirectly, but we haven't actually talked about uh, Bill Moose. Who is that? How you say yes. it, Moose? I think so. All yep. right. Who is our officially our new athletic director? Um, I have a little bit of information on him here. Uh, he was a uh, athletic director at the University of Montana f- 
I think that was like his first AD job. Then he right. was there at Oregon during the Chip Kelly, some of the Chip Kelly times. Um, well, and he actually, I think he hired uh, Chip Kelly's um, um, predecessor, Mike Bellotti, who was the one who really established Oregon as a as a, as a up and coming program. A guy uh, coached by the name of Mike Bellotti, who's now an analyst for ESPN, uh, and um, um, and then Chip Kelly, I believe, was hired by Mike Bellotti. I think Chip was on Mike's staff, and then when Mike retired, Chip took over. I, I think. See. Okay. Okay. So, so he was at Oregon. And apparently, there's some sort of dispute between him and Phil Knight, the uh, owner yes. of Nike, um, right. about like a stadium renovation or something like that. Um, but uh, but he basically one of his his uh, things he's known for is being able to be good at raising money for the athletic programs he did at Oregon and then right. at Washington State, uh, where he's been since 2010. He did something similar. Right. Yep. And he, and he's had a pretty decent eye for for uh, you know coaching talent. I mean, he's he's made some good coaching hires, uh, not just in football but in some other sports as well. He certainly uh, was able to engage some premier people. Uh, like a Phil Knight, but he also um, was willing to stand up to that same uh, uh, um, contributor when, right. when right booster when that booster started meddling a little too much, and Phil needed to or Bill needed to kind of chill Phil Knight's wheels. He was willing to do that, knowing that it was going to hurt uh, that relationship, which was obviously very tenuous because there's so much money flowing through there. But he was willing to risk that to to for the benefit of the program so right yeah well and his team the the or his school rather washington state right now although they just had a, a big upset loss this past week um they've been doing quite well this season uh with mike leach as the coach who he hired there um so that is a good sign overall i would say right. and he left he's leaving washington state uh which is his alma mater Right. Which is where he got his start, as a, in the athletic department, if you will. It was at Washington State as a, like an underling. Right, right. So yeah, I, I we talked about this earlier. Um, seems like a solid choice. Not too much to complain about, uh, aside from your point that he's 66 years old. So he seems like more of a short-term hire than a long-term one. Well, that would seem true. And, and I guess the, the argument would be, if you look at recent history of athletic directors, even going back to the mid-90s, most of our athletic directors since Bob Devaney have had about a five, six, seven-year term. And, and frankly, I, I don't know what the average length of, of uh, tenure is for an athletic director at, at schools, but you know there are exceptions like uh, nowadays of Barry Alvarez or uh, uh, the guy down at uh, Oklahoma who's been there forever. Uh, you know, and things like that. Um, a, a lot of the newer guys tend to bounce around and move pretty quickly. So a, a six or seven years would probably be the average, if not less, uh, of the tenure of, a, of an athletic director. So uh, I, I would agree that I'm, I'm concerned not because uh, of, of him being so close to a second retirement, because recall that he was brought out of retirement when he took the Washington State job. He had He had retired at the age of 59 to his ranch he owns a ranch a family ranch out in washington um but um um he well it's more about energy it's more about can he 
at the age of 66, sustain the level of energy uh, and, you know, innovativeness and willingness to try new things and such, you know, at the age of 66 that he would if he if he was 50 or 48. You know, that's the question. Does he have that energy? It's it's not about, you know, will he stay long enough? Because if he if he has the energy and he and he's in it and, and he wants to do a, the greatest job he possibly can, then then he could be an AD until he's 75 or or, or older, you know, but uh, which would be more than enough time to reestablish Nebraska. But the, the problem is he uh, he's not <laughs> he I don't know that he's going to have that energy. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add on here from what I was reading that there was something in his agreement with Oregon, which involved $200,000 a year uh, for not taking an administrative position at a BCS conference university west of the Mississippi River. Um, so that had something to do with his hiatus between 2007 and 2010 before he took the Washington State job. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting. But so as we yeah. say, you know, Bill, Bill Moose, you know, seems to be a solid choice for athletic director. Now, the question is, like you say, you know, is he already having those discussions with Mike Riley? Um, can Mike Riley still uh, save his job if he uh, ends up going 7-5 and five and wins against everybody except for Penn State that we have left on our schedule? Um, where do we stand on that? That's, that's the question. Yeah, okay. Yeah, see, I would say that if, if – if somehow we're able to magically right the ship with our, our, our bye week and we're able to come out and, and start to build momentum with a victory against Purdue at Purdue and then proceed to win the other two games, uh, Northwestern and, and Minnesota, and then we're faced with a, a final two games of, of uh, Penn State and uh, Iowa, but the Iowa game's at home, and let's say we split those and we – we lose to Penn State in a competitive game in which we show a little fire and we're not a doormat like we were, uh, you know, last night against Ohio State and we and we play Penn State tough and then we turn around the week later and we play against, you know, uh, an Iowa team that drubbed us last year and we beat them in Lincoln. Then all of a sudden you're faced with seven and five, you know, they're being selected for a bowl game and maybe a chance to go eight and five. I think you do that and 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 I think. Uh, Mike Riley probably earns the right to, to try it one more time. And at that point, then Mike Riley needs to make some real honest assessments about what he's got to do to his staff in terms of making some changes to his staff, which would almost certainly have to be part of the part of the plan uh, for him to stick around. Right. Um, um, but as so I say, he stays. I say he gets another year if he goes seven and five. If he goes six and six, um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say the new athletic director takes it in a different direction, and we we we're we're burning this thing down and rebuilding. Right, um, but uh, as you were saying earlier about like uh, Scott Frost being the you know hot commodity and all that, and you know this is all presuming that Scott Frost even wants the Nebraska job, which maybe he doesn't. Um, but let's say for the sake of argument that he does, are you you know sacrificing the potential you know. Uh, uh, up this up and coming, you know, hot coach, you know, who will probably get picked up by a, some other big school at the end of this year. Um, if we don't grab him first, as you say, uh, or for, for another year of Mike Riley, you know, trying to write the ship, you know, 
even if Mike Riley goes seven and five, do you have to make, kind of make that hard decision between you know your long term future and short term? Uh, uh, what do you want to say? Like balance, right? Right, exactly. Well, and and uh, and and, I, and again, I think I think that, that that's where you get into the nuance of how did we win the games? How did we lose the games we lost? You know, were we were we rising to the occasion? Were we moving in this positive direction, even in the losses, and certainly in the wins, or were we just getting by and and flat? You know, those are the those are fundamental things to ask. And then, like you say. I think there's going to be a lot of momentum to look elsewhere and maybe not even Scott Frost. There's other candidates out there. Certainly we have Les Miles son is a, is a red shirt um, on this team right now. And um, um, uh, I think, uh, or maybe he's even playing this year. I don't remember, but the bottom line, he's playing for Nebraska. So Les Miles, who, you know, had a, had a great history with LSU and some, and, um, and some other programs, um, uh, you know, has a huge connection to the Big Ten, you know, Michigan um, coach, et cetera, et cetera, uh, who would be a, a potentially a, a really good fit, uh, just needs to figure out how to pick some offensive coaches. That was his flaw at LSU. And then, um, and then you got Chip Kelly, who's sitting on the sidelines right now, and probably his next, his next job, if he wants to get back into coaching, is going to be as a, um, a head coach in the college game, or maybe a, an assistant at the uh, at the professional level. And I think he wants to be a head coach again. So I'm inclined to believe Chip Kelly is certainly uh, going to be an eligible, uh, you know, candidate out there as well. And so maybe you pick him even over Scott Frost. He's certainly more proven uh, at the college level than Scott Frost is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know our this new Bill Moose guy having that connection to Oregon, which I guess is a connection to both Scott Frost and to Chip Kelly. To, to some degree, although his, his tenure there, of course, ended before, uh, before uh, those guys came in. Uh, Scott mm-hmm. Frost, I don't think, I think he got to Oregon like in 2009 or something, and, and you know, Moose was already gone in 2007. So right. I don't know that they have a lot of connections there, other than that they have a lot of mutual friends probably right right and the things of that nature um yep yeah so i don't know man it's going to be interesting to see um personally and i know you've talked about like scott frost you know not knowing if he's you know since he's so young and he's still unproven and you know does he have the recruiting talent or the ability to get coaches with recruiting talent you know get those great assistants to come to nebraska and things of that nature um is worrisome. Um, the one thing that I I think I can say solidly, no matter which coach we get, is that uh, they can't come in and try to do this pro style offense thing that Mike Riley uh, tried to do. Um, I think that Wisconsin game and even this Ohio State game where they were just running it, running it, getting first downs, getting first downs, you know, is going showing people that, you know, that that style of football obviously still works in the modern age, you know, not in the same way they're not running the Tom Osborne offense of the 90s, you know, football's evolved a bit in ways since then. Um, But the point being that we need a focus on the run game here at Nebraska, um, however you want to, you know, mix that up with new techniques and spread offenses and passing schemes and all that. Um, I think that's going to be a must-have for whoever our new coach is. 
I would 100% agree, 100% agree. And so I think that's the thing that uh, it will be interesting to see how this new athletic director, after he comes in and gets a chance to get a lay of the land and understand what's going on, and I'm sure he's going to get plenty of feedback that, that sends that message loud and clear about what Nebraska fans would expect and think uh, about what would be successful at Nebraska and why. And we'll find out whether he's wise enough to to embrace that vision or whether he's going to say, no, I know better myself. Because remember, this is the guy that hired Mike Leach at Washington uh, when Mike Leach was a little bit of a pariah because he was the guy that had just been in the controversy and gotten fired at Texas Tech because he kind of fell out of favor with their athletic department and he was very controversial. And uh, because, you know, he, he put the kid in the, in this in the oh, supply right. shed or whatever and all that stuff uh, and people accused him of you know psychological abuse and stuff because you know uh, so I mean he took some risks and he and Leach's offense is this throw it all over the yard type of thing uh, much like Oregon so so I mean here's a guy who's who's been willing to go outside the box so he's not an inside the box thinker Mm-hmm. So we may we might need to be accepting of that a little bit if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Well. So. I, but at, at the same time, I think he's going to know that you know Sean Eichhorst choosing Mike Riley as his first guy, you know, was a bit of a out of the box pick that people weren't expecting. Not not in the way of Mike Leach, obviously, in that Mike Riley has one of the best reputations in all of college football in terms of his character and all those sorts of things and years of experience and all that. Um, but, you know, a coach who hasn't won a lot of championships, you know, kind of a middling, you know, overall uh, win-loss record and things of that nature, um, kind yeah. of a, a choice that uh, a lot of people questioned at the time. Um, I think what I think what fans want is, like we talked about previously, like a, um, a Harbaugh-esque, like, we're going to pay the big bucks to get the best guy kind of thing. Now, I don't think we have a, there's many coaches out there right now that fit that mold. Um, but I feel right. like that's what people want. Yep. And we have the money to do it. So we don't have the money is not the answer because uh, given where Nebraska is financially and now that we're full members uh, from a financial standpoint with the big 10, we've got money we've, we've never had before. So uh, we don't, we can't afford it shouldn't be part of the conversation. Otherwise, Nebraska fans will really get pissed. So that's a good way to, uh, to um, alienate you know, your supporters is to bring up that issue. So I think we do need to be willing to go out and get the very best guy. The question is, who is that guy? And the, well, and the yeah. one who has to answer that now is Bill Moose. He's, he's going to be the one making that choice, whether he chooses Mike Riley uh, to give him another year or not. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Yep, there is. It's 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 an intriguing situation, and frankly, one of the more exciting things that we can look forward to watching. Because I'm not sure how much excitement we're going to get out of the team uh, for the remainder of this year. Now, if they continue to lay the egg like they did and give the kind of piss poor effort that they gave at Ohio State, this is all a moot point. Uh, Mike Riley is definitely fired, along with all of his staff. You know, we certainly won't keep most of our our recruits because no one will want to play for a team that looks as shitty as we're going to look if we put in that kind of effort ever again. And, um, and so this will now be a completely straightforward thing where he's out there probably deciding uh, among, you know, the three I mentioned and maybe a few other uh, up and coming um, assistants who might 
have an interest in, uh, in, in the job. And, uh, you know, depending on, I think, how strong the pull is for Scott Frost and, uh, and whether or not a big name like a Chip Kelly is, would even genuinely be interested in a Nebraska job. Chip Kelly would probably look at it and say, thanks, but no thanks. Even if we offered him the job, I think he'd probably turn it down. Mm-hmm. He would look at it and say, I'd, I'd far rather be at Tennessee you know, right. or, or someplace where I don't have to work so hard to recruit. Right. You're, you need to get somebody at Nebraska that wants to be at Nebraska and understands how difficult the recruiting is going to be. Yeah. All right. So. And so uh, looking ahead, um, we have a bye next week, which means we uh, won't have a podcast next week. Um, or m- maybe we will, and we'll just do a more general college football talk. We'll have to see on there that. There we go. Um, okay. But uh, in two weeks, we play against Purdue. And I didn't watch the game, but I saw the score. Um, they lost to Wisconsin at 17-9. to nine which I think is interesting yep. considering how many points Wisconsin put up on us. They held them to 17. Um, what do you think right. that says about well, Purdue? A couple of things. It was a 17 to nothing game, like, uh, before half. Oh. And I don't know what happened that caused, you know, uh, them to uh, not score again. I have a feeling that they felt they had control of the game at that point, and they may have been less, you know, when, when they started playing against Nebraska, they were in a tight game into the third quarter. And, and so, and, and they locked in on power running game, found that it worked and they got really simple and they just beat the snot out of us. Uh, I think they didn't want to do that again for a second week in a row. They needed to develop their offense. They needed to develop their passing game. And I think they felt the freedom to be able to do that. You know that? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that game was played out quite, quite differently. Uh, so I don't get too scared of that score, but there's no doubt in my mind that Purdue is a very, um, what do I want to say? Improved. Uh, a very improved team. I, I really like their coach uh, and what he's trying to accomplish. He knows what he's doing, uh, and, and, and we're going to get a team that's feeling good about where they're going, uh, whereas we are the opposite of that. We're the fragile team going into their den, and so we could get our asses handed to us easily. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We will see. All right. So in terms of so, uh, predictions then, yes, um, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm waffling right now between a 24-21 victory for us and a 28-27 victory for us. I'm thinking it's going to be close, but I'm just wondering about point spread in terms of how, how prolific both offenses are going to be. What do you think? Well, I think, I think Purdue's offense is going to be pretty prolific against this stupid bend and but don't break defense that Diaco's got going. So unless we see dramatic differences in Diaco's defense, you know everybody was thinking, oh well, maybe maybe his defense is getting better. Uh, you know, which, when in reality it was just the the, the skill level of the uh, of the players that was the problem. Uh, we were playing Rutgers and and Illinois, the two worst teams, the Big Ten. So I'm gonna have to say I think. Uh, what I saw against Ohio State convinces me that Mike Riley doesn't have the team the way we need to. And even though we have two weeks to prepare, I think we will be more prepared uh, than we were for the Ohio State game. There'll be some reaction, but it'll be minimal. Uh, and therefore, um, we lose. I'm going to predict uh, uh, about a 35-21 loss for Nebraska. Okay. 
Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with my 28-27 victory then. I hope. Um, I, I hope you're right. Yeah, um, I'm. 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 Once again, I'm looking on the optimistic side here, not necessarily the realistic side. I'm no uh, betting man in Vegas here. Um, yeah, normally. Because because I I would probably bet on Purdue in that case. Um, but uh, I also think that you know if we play as well as we did in like. Or, or as well as we showed, at least in that first half against Wisconsin, you know, our own mistakes kind of compromised us there. Um, but that showed uh, signs to me that we do have a legit, uh, some legit good players and our scheming can work and stuff in the right circumstances. And if the, everyone tries and is out there ready to play, and the question is, you know, can we recover? You know, do the players have it in them? Will all this talk about Mike Riley being fired and the new AD is going on? Um, that'll be interesting to see. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So, all right. Uh, well, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, not necessarily on the field for Nebraska, but off the field. Um, uh, I think Bill Moose did the right thing in saying, hey, I'm not addressing the, the Mike Riley deal. He's our coach and will be until the end of the season because that's how I do things. And so that immediately pushed the dogs off. But trust me, Bill Moose will be getting pressure when the pressure begins to mount. And all of a sudden there's all kinds of talk of Scott Frost taking the job at, at, uh, at Tennessee because he's offered it in three weeks or four weeks, you know, a couple weeks shy of the end of the season. And what, Bill Moose, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? is going to start becoming a pressure right. cooker. Well, and that'll be fascinating to watch. Right. Well, like you say, it's all from Bill Moose's perspective, it's almost easier if the team keeps playing like we did against Ohio State, we just tank and lose the next 3 games, you know, and then it's like, okay, yeah, then, it's, then it's foregone. Right. Then it's foregone. If Mike like you say, if Mike Riley pulls out this 7 and 5 season somehow, then then it becomes a little trickier uh, from his perspective. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Yep. All right. So uh, if you all there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can find us online at podomatic.footballthrowdown.com. You can find us on iTunes under College Football Throwdown. You can leave us reviews and ratings on there or uh, leave us a comment like AJ did on the Podomatic website. Um, and like we said, we'll figure out what our uh, – plan is going to be for the 50th episode and whether we'll be doing a podcast in the bye week we'll talk about all that ourselves but we you can count on us for some good college football discussion one way or the other and we'll definitely be here after the purdue game to discuss what happened there all righty there we go and until next time go big red go big red forever go big red forever